This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Two by two, and they'll look for the green flag. We'll wait for it to fly, and it does indeed fly, and the Honda Indy Toronto is underway. And Scott Dixon goes from the outside to the inside looking for the race lead. He won't get it. It'll be Colton Herta, the pole sitter, who leads him through turn number one. Dixon slots in in second. Joseph Newgarden third. And we got a car up against the outside wall just in turn number two. We'll identify that car in a moment. It's Takuma Sato. Meanwhile, the leaders head to turn three. Rosenquist putting the pressure on. And he's looking to make a move to the inside. Here comes Felix Rosenquist. He'll dive deep. The two nearly make contact. They do, and that will send Alexander Rossi into the wall of the exit of turn number three. We have a full course caution. Alexander Rossi, Felix Rosenquist, that contact will bring out the yellow flag. We'll see Scott Dixon as he works his way around. Is definitely off pace. Colton Hurt is closing in. It's about a six-car length advantage for Scott Dixon through turn number six. And things are tightening up behind Scott Dixon as whatever it was on that tire, I think, blew up after he worked his way through turn number eight. Scott Dixon with a couple of turns to go with Herta and Rosenquist closing down to 1.2 seconds. One more turn to go for Scott Dixon. Whatever that bullet was, it looked like he's going to dodge it as Herta and Rosenquist Try to keep pace, but they're not going to catch it. Scott Dixon sees the twin checkered flag, and for the fourth time, he will win the Honda Indy Toronto. Colton Herta finishes second, Felix Rosenquist third, Graham Rahal fourth, Marcus Harrison completes the top five. It's time for the only trip of the season outside of the United States. Time to go to Canada this weekend. The Honda Indy Toronto is coming up, back for a second year after a couple of years away. Big crowd expected, big fun, and let's start reminding everyone, Peacock. It's Peacock coming up on Sunday exclusively. Send your comments and questions to Kurt Cavan. I will be tweeting out his home phone number here in a matter of moments. Sunday afternoon, 1.30 on Peacock. Uh, all coverage all weekend long as well. Welcome to Trackside, where you can also, this radio station will present the broadcast this weekend if you refuse If the budget does not allow $5, I get it. It's offered for free here on the radio at the moment. But you'll have to still purchase a radio, but luckily you already have one, or you need to purchase internet access, uh, and that would allow you to listen via the IndyCar app and many other outlets as well. I'm Kevin Lee. Sam Fritz is in our studio tonight. Eddie Garrison has the week off. Kurt Cavan is also with us tonight. How are you, Kurt? Good. I haven't had a home phone number for a while, so I'm sure I could give that one out. That'll be fine. But I understand your concern. Two four seven eight five five nine. I remember <laughs> my my childhood phone number. I don't remember any of the others. Yeah, uh, mine, was, mine was nine one zero zero one because we only had to dial the first five digits or the last five digits in Frankfort, Indiana. So you did live in the sticks, didn't you? Yeah, Clinton County is way out there in in Indiana, You're but uh, telling me you only had five numbers in your phone number? Was there a party line? There was a party line even before that. I can remember growing up in Crawfordsville, and we had a shared oh, we've line. Lost everyone under forty five. Yeah, we've I understand. <laughs> if you picked up the phone, there was there there was a good chance that somebody in another household was talking. If you picked up, so there were many times when I just listened to what was being said. Uh, on the party line, but yeah, that was uh, growing up in the in the late '60s and early '70s on on a dirt road, not really a dirt road, a gravel road in uh, 
in Montgomery County in Indiana. Well, we're going to the big city this weekend in Toronto to see them IndyCars race, so that's going to be a hoot. Uh, we look forward to that coming up. So uh, last year at this time, we were enjoying Scott Dixon's first win of the season. That extended his record up to, what, 18 consecutive seasons that he had won a race, which is a record. It tied Mario Andretti uh, on the all-time win list at number two, just behind A.J. Foyt at the time. So we had that going for us. And then we were wondering what's going to happen with Alex Pillow. Uh, because two teams were wanting his services. We didn't know who he was going to be driving for the next season. A year later, Scott Dixon is looking for his first win of the season to extend that mark. Uh, no Mario Andretti involved in this circumstance, but here we are again. We still don't know where Alex Pillow is driving in the next season. And, and, shortly... and by the way, this is the one-year anniversary, I think, of uh, the... Uh, I don't know who sent out this press release. I didn't approve the quotes. And I do not intend to drive for Chip Ganassi Racing in 2023. Well, he may not intend to, but he is. And that happened right in the middle of our show, that uh, flurry of tweets. And and uh, I would say that was one of the best uh, shows that we've had on our, uh, what, now 15, 15 and a half, 16-year run on this uh, association <laughs> on the radio station. Uh, the other one was Dan Weldon talking about, uh, well, there were a couple of good ones, but one was Weldon talking about uh, going down the bobsled and, and skinning his rear end. Uh, that was, that was good comedy. And then the night that Kevin Kalkoven and Jimmy Vassar were speaking to us from the West coast and they were, they were gassed uh, not because they were tired, but they were, uh, they were lubed up. And that was good, good uh, live radio. But anyway, I digress. Uh, I would remind people it not only is the race on Peacock, and I learned this the hard way one year take your passport if you're going. One year I went to Toronto, got to the border the first time, and they said, Where's your passport? And I said, Oh, I left it at home. And they said, well, we'll, we're Canadians. We'll let you in. It's your country that won't let you back in the country. So take your passport. Just remember to pack that. I, I did pull it out. It's sitting there uh, right on top. And so far, so good. But I haven't left the house yet. So that is always one of my fears. So we'll get into uh, what's up with Alex Pillow and what the options are and some things in the Formula One world might potentially have an impact. We've had a few questions about that. I don't think... Daniel Ricardo really defines anything. I still think there is a potential path there if you're interested in that for Alex Blow with much to be determined. We'll get to that a little later on. We've got uh, another seat confirmed open for next year and one person that has been crossed off that list that we'll speak of. But first, we have to speak about a change in the roster for the weekend. Unfortunately, Simon Pagano is not cleared after that nasty, nasty tumble, which fortunately he got out, said he was okay, but also said, I need to pass the tests, and he's not passed the tests. So Tom Blumquist is going to make his IndyCar debut after one day in an IndyCar previously at a street race late in the season. We'll speak to that, but first, uh, we feel for Simon Pagano, who had never missed a race before, and now he's missed two in a row. Yeah, he had gone, I think, 190 consecutive races. I think that's the number uh, without missing a race, which dated back to 2012, as I recall. And 
you know, I read in in uh, Eraser.com story, Michael Shank saying, because there had been no real discussion publicly about, you know, how Simon is doing. Michael Shank told Racer that that Simon has a headache or has had a headache. And I think at that point, you know, it's been what, a week and a half, but you can you you want to err on the side of caution with these things. There's no he's proven himself many times over. He's a champion of the sport. He'll drive for many years or as for as long as he wants to and whether it's indie cars or sports cars or, or whatever he chooses to work in this sport, he doesn't need to run at Toronto just for the sake of running. Let's let's be cautious and and make sure that he's okay. Uh, and so I think that's the right call. Uh, I don't again haven't seen anything official about what kind of test they put him through or or he passed or failed. I can't speak to any of those things. Only thing I can speak to is is what I read in the racer story that that Michael said that he had a he has had a headache and um so we'll go with that as for now and we'll see him back in the car soon. I, it'll be interesting about Iowa too. That's a back-to-back race uh weekend where you have races Saturday and Sunday and that circular motion is pretty intense for how many laps they're going to turn about 500 laps over two days. So that may be one to watch as well as we move forward. And that would be another big debate as to who they put in the car. So there are some different things in play here. Tom Blumquist being chosen is more about the future, in my opinion, than the present and the present, you might say, "Eh, it doesn't matter. They're not going anywhere but it might mean a million dollars. They are right on the brink of the cutoff. And it's difficult and it's confusing and IndyCar doesn't promote it or really even want it discussed, but it's entrant point. So it's not as simple as looking at the point standings because there you've got combined efforts for the number 11 car. You've got to combine for the number 20 car. And then you've got at least one that's not eligible. Uh, the Actually, it's, yeah, I don't think the number 11 car is eligible. So cross that off. It's three per team, unless you were grandfathered in, is the position I understand. And, and these rules are not stated publicly, as IndyCar mentions accurately. It is a contract between the teams and themselves, and they've decided not to really make this a talking point. I think some of us think this can be, uh, especially if your championship is over in August. You might want to kind of look like what Formula One does and have the race through the midfield. In this case, it's a million dollars for that 22nd. And by the way, I don't even know 100% that it's 22 because it fluctuates some years between 20 and 22. Maybe it goes up to 24, but I think it's 22. So that's at stake there. And if, and we remember a few years ago, that was one of the reasons I believe that Zach Veach was taken out of the car and Hinchcliffe was put in, that they were on the brink of not getting that done. And they felt like Hinchcliffe had a better chance of scoring more points in the final few races. He did, they did. And that made them a million dollars in that case. Andretti is the team that's grandfathered in that still has uh, four entries. So if that matters, help me who I'm missing, but isn't Connor Daly the best choice to give you the best chance of getting results right now? He is at Iowa Speedway and at Gateway Worldwide Technology. Right Right now. 
Well, that's true. He would give you the best chance at Toronto, but I was thinking about, I thought you were alluding to an oval, uh, per, an oval driver. Uh, I, I think even this weekend, if you are just trying to score the most points possible, as good as Tom Blomquist is, and, and I think, and by the way, I don't know this, but I think he's already agreed, signed, whatever you want. You know, I've been hearing his name for a long time. You have too. And here in the last month or so, it's become pretty apparent from a lot of different outlets that he's in. He's in Elio's seat next year. And the one that is to be determined is whether Simon Pagino is invited back. Um, so he's going to be really good, but expecting him to be decent even in his first weekend on a street course is a tall, tall task. I think they... I think they wanted him to be in a race regardless. Uh, I think they wanted him to have at least some experience on an IndyCar weekend in 2023 as they move toward 2024. Okay. So if you're going to do it somewhere, I mean, you're not going to do it on one of those three oval tracks. I thought that's where you were skipping to, but you're not going to have him do it on one of those short ovals. That that doesn't make any sense. Uh, this is going to be an importantly difficult task for sure. But I'm not sure where the easy task would be. I mean, I think him jumping into a race weekend, I mean, is Portland a little bit easier? Is is WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca a little bit easier? Maybe. But yeah, it's still courses would be a little bit. A little bit, but it's still gonna be a challenge. Um, it's still gonna be very difficult. And um he's probably in a in a no win situation in a one off uh in 2023 regardless of where he's doing it and i think they as to your point about him signed or agreed to for 2024 i think you have to give him a shot just let him feel the you know the the routine of the weekend feel something about the car i think that it was to their benefit to try him somewhere i don't know what connor's availability was for the weekend uh but but i think that's what is in play here is they wanted to give him a chance and if it got to Nashville or it got to Portland beyond, you know, this particular weekend, Simon's probably back. So if he's going to do it, this is probably the one to do it. I don't feel like this is let's get a look at him and assess whether we want him for next year. I believe that decision has already been made because, Agreed. one, I don't think that would be super fair to him to base whether you want to sign him for IndyCar and how he does after one day in the car. What this is, is getting him more prepared. And while they may take some lumps and they uh, run the risk further of not qualifying for the leader circle by doing this, they are going to be better off for next year because at some point he has to run a street course. And that, by the way, is the first race, we think, yep. of next season. So get that out of the way. And he'll be better by the time he gets to Toronto next year. So that's what this is about. This is about big picture in in that circumstance. You know, I wondered if if there was someone else they were considering for the second car. If they are not certain that Simon's going to be back, would they take a look at a Linus Lundquist? Or is there someone else out there? But I don't think Linus Lundquist has ever been at Toronto because no. lights didn't race there last year. And then it had been since 2019 before he came upon the scene. So that would be a tough task for him as well. He has more familiarity, but I would contend that someone driving 
prototypes in sports cars is more ready to go than someone who's come up from Indy Next, Indy Light. So Blumquist has probably got a better chance to score points with the high level of racing that he has done and how blazingly fast he is in those sports cars. I think it will transfer, and he might surprise us. There are also four rookies in this event. So, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be 27th. Uh, Maybe in the first session, but I think by session two, he's going to be quicker than two or three or four cars. I would agree with that. And and look, I mean, it was an incredible challenge for Connor Daly to jump into the car, that car at Mid-Ohio. And, you know, by all accounts, he did a terrific job. Now, he only had, you know, the morning warm up on Sunday to, to prepare and then the race itself using the experience that he has, which is vast. But what he get to twentieth place? I mean, it's it's still probably going to be a finish, regardless of who's in the car. It's probably going to be a finish of that begins with a two. In a twenty-seven car field, it's probably going to start with a two. Probably you might get some attrition in this race if you can stay clean. But even on street races, IndyCar doesn't tend to have a lot of that. So yeah, you're looking. Now, what if you get lucky and you get this is one of those a street race is one where the script can be flipped. There's going to be none of this. We're letting everyone have one chance to pit before we throw the caution. When someone's in the wall, the caution comes out. So you'd better pit at the beginning of when your pit window opens or you run the risk of losing, you know, going from first to 15th. Just like that. So uh, that that is another dynamic. So that's the scenario where maybe he picks up spots by doing something. And, and he's probably more likely to pit early because he's probably going to wear the tires more. And he's not going to save fuel as well as everyone else. So that's how that can work out. I'm sad for Connor because I really think, you know, he's driven an Andretti car before. It's been a while. But I know it hasn't clicked for Simon most of the time in Elio in this program the last two years uh, affiliated with Andretti. I would have been interested in a different perspective, just like Ed Carpenter Racing wanted a different perspective in their car. I would have been curious to see what Connor, who's had experience in a lot of different cars, thought about it. And I think that could have been helpful to the team, but I probably would have made the same decision too. Let's take our lumps now, hope we can get 20th and score enough points and then later on in the season, score enough to be able to make it up. And by the way, if Simon can't go at Iowa, that's got to be Connor, right? It, I think it has to be. And and not just because he has the experience; he's run very well on he's these short there. ovals. He's been he's very really good, good at been very good at Iowa and Gateway. So there's three races where they could, you know, have have a really strong car. You know, interestingly. Uh, you talk about the Andretti relationship. Um, you know they've been very good. You know they they're associated with with Meyer Shank racing in a technical um, relationship. They've been very good on the street circuits this year. Uh, Grosjean right. on the pole at St. Pete. Uh, the team ran uh, what one two four at at uh, Long Beach uh, with with different drivers. Obviously Kirkwood winning the race from the pole. Uh, they ran well at at uh, Detroit, even though they didn't get top flight results. I think I counted up; they had between Colton, DeFrancesco, 
and Kirkwood, they gained like 24 positions between the three of them. That's eight apiece. So that was a pretty good weekend as well, even though they didn't finish on the podium. But they've had good streetcars this this season. And while it hasn't necessarily translated to the Meyer Shank guys, uh, per- perhaps that can be a boost with, with somebody else. And maybe to your point, that's why Connor, who has been with uh, Andretti in the past, why that might and has experience might have been a been a benefit to them. But again, I can't argue at all with putting uh, Blomquist in the car if you're going to run him next season. That's what we saw Team Penske do with Scott McLaughlin, get him in one race in mm-hmm. the in the season prior, and I think that's beneficial. Just understand the cadence and the rhythm. And okay, it's I only got 45 minutes in this session. I got to do this, and in the morning warm up, the the reason is. We're going to test this, this, and this in the morning warm-up. And I know Tom is a, a very experienced race car driver, but just going through the the alternate tires and and all the component pieces that you'll you'll adjust during the various practices is is why it's good for him to experience it in uh, in a real race weekend. You can tell him all you want; he can watch all he wants, but until he experiences it, he's not gone through it. Uh, for those that are not familiar with Tom Blumquist, he won the most recent sports car race in the top class this past weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. He has won the Rolex a couple of times. He's been the fastest guy there. He's blazingly fast. He had been in the GT class for a few years. I, I met him first when he did a season with the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team. He was a BMW factory driver, drove for them a little bit in Formula E drove for them in in the same series that Robert Wickens did uh, in sort of what a touring car um, that that we saw in DTM for BMW. And by the way, Michael Shank mentioned when he we first started talking about Blumquist last year for IndyCar, he said, I, I think he can be another Robert Wickens. He comes from a similar background. Let's don't just only look at people coming from the Formula One ladder or the IndyCar ladder. Let's just look for good race car drivers. And I think he's a really good race car driver. Now, he did originally come from that Formula One ladder. He finished second in a championship, but I have to look up my notes. One year, and I forget who finished third. Maybe somebody like Esteban Ocon. It's a a decent Formula One driver, driver who's been around for a little bit. The guy who finished first was Max Verstappen. That's who he finished second to in like a Formula Three level type championship so he was one of those on the path to formula one and like so many doesn't get the opportunity veers off into sports cars and now at 29 years old he has a chance to go indie car racing and everybody wants to always drive the fastest the sleekest car they can you know how we get offended when our drivers talk about formula one do sports car people get offended when their drivers want to come to indycar same kind of thing just guys want to drive the fastest car that is available and have the best job that is available and as good a job as prototype sports car racing and driving is, if you get hired to drive an Indy car, that's a little bit better. Little, plus, it has the Indy 500. Yeah. He's a New Zealander as well. and eh, Sort of. Uh, well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> he, he lived there for a while. He's, I, I think he's sweet, of Swedish descent. His dad, Stig, is, I guess, a legend in rally cars. Yeah, that's right. And then, And then he's... I think he's from the UK. Uh, Originally, yeah, just, think, yeah. 
kind of lived where his dad was living as he was racing. Yeah, that's probably a better description. He's he's uh he's been he's been multiple things in his his life, but uh he's um as you say a very good race car driver and um so anyway, it'll be a great kind of watch uh to see how he performs particularly on this very difficult weekend. One other name I wondered about if they really did want to evaluate uh, for if they want to go a different direction other than Pagano. I wondered about Colin Brown, who has tested an IndyCar. I've not heard how it went, but I'd be surprised if it did not go well. Um, but he'd be in the same situation as Blumquist, that it'd be really steep. And I think what hurts Colin and his chances to be considered for the Meyer Shank program next year is I'd be surprised if Shank wants to take both of his drivers out of his sports car bro program, presuming he has one next year, and I think he will. I don't know if it's Acura or with someone else, uh, but I've I've asked Michael about Colin, and he's like, yep, he is everything we thought he would be, and he's even better. So Colin Brown is not going anywhere if they have a seat for him, but I don't think he'd want to have to hire two new people for the sports car program. I think he'd like to only replace one. And that one, by the way, could be Elio. Maybe it's Elio going straight over there, or maybe it's Simon. Who knows what that scenario is. But if anybody wondered about Colin, you know, I would, I would think that that played into that just a little bit. And Colin, you know, he's one of the smartest race car drivers that around as well. His dad, uh, many people will remember was, was head of, he was an engineer of the sports car program, uh, uh, core, but he also uh, engineered Team Scandia in in the IRL, and was a, is a really well thought of race car engineer and and technical director type level. And Colin has those same smarts, uh, so and he's fast too, so very experienced. And you know he tested with Rayho. I think you just said that he had tested with Rayho before, and. I think he'd be a great fit on the IndyCar side. The question is, as you mentioned, is what happens with the sports car team? Is Does Michael Shank take both drivers? Colin, by the way, is doing pretty well in life with what he has right now because as a sports car driver, you get to do a lot of everything. So one of the people that he coaches and drives with at a lower level is George Kurtz. You may not know that name, but you probably know his company, CrowdStrike, which you see on Lewis Hamilton's car. Uh, George is a very, very wealthy gentleman driver, and I got to believe it's good business to be George's coach and teammate. And that's what Colin does on weekends when he's not in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, okay, so we'll get into other things in silly season, but I just want to touch on the event this weekend. Uh, what do we expect from what we've seen? We have to go back to 19. Uh, so it sort of applies, but really I think we're kind of looking at who was good last year. Yeah, of course. the The thing I go back to is is just having the pit road, and this is a not really a change from last year, but a change from years past. Is is um, you know having that pit road on the left side uh, is different than we used to see it on the right side historically at at Toronto. So you know that's kind of a different approach. And you know the good thing is uh, that event has started to regain its its uh, momentum and its its sea legs, if you will, for. Uh, the future, and we're talking about an extension here soon. Uh, you know, I I like 
I like the same cats that we see a lot. Power has one run well there. Dixon has run well there. Dixon being the defending champion. Uh, by the way, you you mentioned 18 consecutive years. Uh, he also has a streak of 20, a record set of 20 years with at least one win. That is, you know, on the line as well. Power has similar streaks, 16 consecutive years, and I think 17 overall. Uh, those are, are near records, except for Dixon being around. So you'd be looking at Power and Dixon, and Newgarden has run well as well. So those would be kind of the three guys from an experience standpoint and a past success standpoint. Those are two that I'd I'd have my eye on. Power has gone awful there the last four years, 21st, 18th, 18th, and 15th, and hasn't even qualified well. Uh, 15th and 16th, I think it is, in the last two years. But you're right, they're generally good. Newgarden is, is good there. The Ganassi's will be good it's it's kind of the same cast of characters but does anyone surprise us maybe opportunity for that coming up this weekend too so we'll get more into what's gonna uh, happen this weekend at toronto what we know what we think we know what we don't know about silly season a couple of schedule nuggets we may throw in as well stick with us plenty to come trackside 93.5 oh oh by the way also big news with the ims museum announced yesterday and the IMS Museum president, Joe Hale, is going to be on the show in a little bit. We'll detail all that. So stay with us. It's Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Trackside continues. Thanks for staying with us as we get set for the Honda Indy Toronto right here on the radio Sunday afternoon at 1.30. Peacock as well. I'll try to mention that. No television coverage other than, well, it's possible to get Peacock on your television. So hopefully you can join us coming this weekend. Uh, maybe the American Century big golf event is on NBC. I know NASCAR is on USA. We're kind of head-to-head with NASCAR this weekend. Uh, But Peacock on Sunday afternoon, that's where you'll find all the practice sessions, qualifying, and so much more. And this is the only one of the year that's on Peacock. We're back on Big NBC the next weekend for the doubleheader at Iowa. And, um, well, we'll get to the rest of the schedule as we move forward. All right, let's talk about as much as we are excited about what's still to come this year. Uh I think it's always fun to speculate on what might happen because the the race results are the facts, right? That that's simple. Just yeah, Alex Pelot's been great. There's not a whole lot to dispute there. He's up by 110 points past the midpoint of the season at this point. So we know how it's going on track. Let's talk about some other things and a development this week in the Formula One world. I think people wondered, hey, does that eliminate an opportunity? for Alex Pillow. So here is the story, uh, and here's the background on that. There are maybe two, three, four Formula One seats that might be available next year. There was one that most of the Formula One world felt was definitely going to be open. Red Bull has a very short leash, namely Dr. Helmut Marco has a very short leash, and if it doesn't go well, you get moved on very, very quick. I heard a driver this weekend saying, 
that, yeah, when I was a Red Bull junior driver, I would have a weekly phone call with Dr. Marco about how it was going. And I, you know, I hadn't won the race and I noticed, you know, 30 seconds into my explanation when I finished, there was no response on the other end. (laughs) When he's done with you, he just hangs up and doesn't tell you. (laughs) I've heard a few stories like the, how fierce that is. So that might be something Alex Pillow wants to keep in mind. Uh, as he assesses whether he wants to go there. But AlphaTauri, the junior Red Bull team, was thought definitely to have a seat available. It's not going great for Nick DeVries. May not be Nick DeVries' faults, but they expected him to be gone, and they were right to expect that because he gone right now, effective immediately. Daniel Ricciardo tested the car, what, yesterday? And they must that must have been the best test in the history of mankind because he's in that seat. So the first question is, does that eliminate a possibility for Alex Pillow? And and my thought is no. No, my thought is no as well. Uh, I don't think Daniel Ricardo is the future, but no, I don't think that eliminates Alex Pillow. I think there are a couple of scenarios for Pillow to still get that seat, and he's not the only one. You know, I think the, the Formula One world wants to know why Liam Lawson, who is a Red Bull junior driver, who has won uh, quite a few races in F2, is doing really well in the series that Alex Pillow came from, the Super Formula Series. He's winning races, might even be leading the championship, but I know he's in contention there. So that's who the Formula One world thinks is the next young driver. And their question is, well, why do you have this junior program if you don't promote them into your junior program in Formula One? So that's one, and there will be others as well. But I think if Ricardo does great, then I'm not super comfortable if I'm Sergio Perez, who's getting stomped by his teammate, as everyone would at this point, but maybe not by this much. And again, going back to the short leash on things that, you know, the original thought was, yeah, Perez has probably only got another year. It, It might be coming, if they find a good option, He might be out at the end of this year. I know he has another year on the contract. So if Ricardo goes great, I could see Ricardo being moved up to that seat short term. And then they will see how it goes for whoever they put in that Alpha Tori seat. And maybe that's the long-term replacement for Ricardo. So that could be the path in for Polo. The other path is if it does not go well for Ricardo, If he's not really good, if he's not beating his teammates, they are not going to keep a 30-something in that seat. I I think he's – maybe they would keep him next year, but my guess is he's either moving up to Red Bull, moving on somewhere else at everyone's agreement uh, because there's no seat available at Red Bull, or he's back on the sidelines again. So I suspect that AlphaTauri seat is still going to be open next year. Agreed, and we we may not know if Alex Below fits that seat for some time yet. That's the other problem with all the dominoes that uh, IndyCar has in play. So that one we're going to have to wait on. What he does have is an advantage over some others, including if anyone wants to move from one team to another, he's free and clear on sure. whatever that is, September 10th. Yes. And is open to testing. Now, then it might come down to, Maybe McLaren. Now, 
I still don't see how McLaren can keep him from signing a Formula One contract next year when they are, as I understand it, not allowed to sign him to anything until the end of September. But they do have an agreement with him to be their Formula One test driver. So they could keep him out of someone else's Formula One car if they want to hold him to it at the end of the season. I think they could. Now, maybe another team would say, we still want Pelot. But here's what, if McLaren wants to do him dirty, they say, no, you're not allowed to drive the car for anyone else. And oh, by the way, you're not going to drive our car either. Any of our cars, the old car, the current car, anything. So that's probably getting to the genesis of why you need to get Zach Brown to sign off on this. That, as I'm thinking through that, wondering how he could possibly stop that deal, that might be how he could legally stop that deal from happening in the Formula One world. It, isn't it funny how all this uh, behind-the-scenes politics, if you will, between the teams is There's no uh, politics in Formula One, well, is there? It just affects us more than we realize. So we bring all that up because, you know, we've got this big long list of free agents and open seats, and there are more open seats than confirmed seats for next year. But what can get done until it's determined who is in the third McLaren seat? Well, what could get done is Erickson could decide on August 1st that he wants to take, you know, a better option, a paid option, a more lucrative option. He could decide. You know, Andretti could begin to reshuffle its deck a little bit. And it may, I, I stand to think, too, that Andretti's already been on the path. That's, it has been their their history to have some of these deals figured out much earlier than, than we realized. And, and certainly much easier, much earlier than the August 1st, we call it, you know, a deadline or, or one of those dates when, uh, things can start happening, but Andretti's history, they've had some of these guys locked up before that. Um, you know, one of the interesting stories is, is, you know, they're going to move on from Devlin Francesco, and they would like to have, um, a, a four car operation where the drivers are there strictly on, on merit, uh, without bringing sponsorship to the program. Now, I think that we may see a driver, uh, like, you know, David Malukas, which has, HMD trucking sponsorship. Maybe he comes with some sponsorship, but no one I don't think would would suggest that Malukas was hired because because of the sponsorship package. He's got the talent. We've seen it. Um, you know, we saw it in Indy Next. He he battled um, Kyle Kirkwood all the way to the finish. Won what seven races? So he's very talented. Um, but I think Andretti could start shuffling the lineup, if you will. Uh, depending on and that because that's irrespective of what Alex Pelot is going to do they could so that means the ball is in Erickson's court uh, yep. and he gets to decide and it depends on what the offer is because if if McLaren is paying what they've been paying the others that's likely the best paying option so then it just becomes a matter of everybody knows what that number might be would they be willing to pay him two and a half, three million a year? And is Andretti willing to match that uh, possibility? And if they are, then I could see Marcus saying, you know what? I'm not going to wait on this. Uh, Cause I, I think there's still, I'm going to say 
there's a 70% chance that Pelot is driving for McLaren in IndyCar next year. There's no science behind that, but there's just a lot of obstacles. Some we just talked about the lack of respect for IndyCar in the formula one world is another obstacle. And then the competition. And by the way, the competition who is good, who likely brings a lot of money. As I said a couple of weeks ago, I've been told that even drivers that you think have been hired in Formula One, they aren't fully hired. They're they're connected to money. And maybe Pelot's people have connected him to money to help get him in the door. But if they have not, then I don't see it happening for him. So I think there's a better chance than not that Pelot is where a year ago he said he was going to be, just a year late but in 2024 for McLaren. So if I'm Marcus Erickson, if I have a firm offer, unless I know they're willing to wait, then I might go ahead and quietly agree to that right now and officially do that on August 1st. If it's not Marcus Erickson, who else would Andretti be interested in? I think everybody would be interested in Marcus Armstrong at this point. Uh, I don't know if, if that's the path and, you know, his first, preference would be Ganassi but I think everybody would be interested in Marcus Armstrong my goodness what a what a start he's had despite despite not having any uh, oval experience uh, that would be one uh, he would be you know very attractive uh, you know somebody's going to be interested in Felix Rosenquist I don't know if it's Andretti makes a lot of sense to be Andretti I actually think it makes more sense he ends up back at Ganassi as essentially one of their lower paying, if you will, or well, how, yeah, well, he doesn't, only... he doesn't have budget. And that I apparently, think... unless your name is Scott Dixon is a requirement at Chip Ganassi racing at this point. If, There's, if that has there, to there be are no the hired drivers there anymore, but no, I, I, I would agree with that, but I also think it's possible. They're going to have one that comes in at a pretty low rate. They might. They might. they might have somebody because they're going to need somebody else to be championship quality. And they're going to have to pay somebody, I think. Uh, Don't you think? Well, see, here's the thing. And and here's why Chip might be holding firm. Because one might think that, but he's got championship material bringing budget as well. So for Chip Ganassi and the race team, the Marcus Erickson relationship and arrangement is quite nice. We're getting a high-quality driver, and we don't have to go find the sponsorship for that. Marcus Armstrong. And and some might say, well, wait a minute. My, why would Marcus Armstrong be available? Why wouldn't he want to stay with Chip Ganassi? Well, if they're not willing to pay Marcus Erickson, I I feel pretty certain they're not willing to pay Marcus Armstrong. Well, except, And I except... would also bet that whatever amount of money his family is bringing this year, if he wants to do all the races next year, that number is going up. I think Marcus Armstrong is available to be had somewhere else. I agree, and and that's my first lean. But but I would say again, what Marcus Erickson would like from a from a salary standpoint, he not only wants to be paid, he wants to be paid a certain amount. I'm sure he has a yep. dollar figure. So I'm saying there are people like Felix Rosenquist, like Marcus Armstrong, somebody's going to get hired at a much lower rate than what Erickson is going to be asking for. So that's, that was my point. Somebody, somebody, I can't think of, I'll have to think this through. Can you think of a championship caliber driver who brings budget at this point? 
who has proven something. I mean, Malukas would be somebody that would come into the conversation. He hasn't won a yeah, race. But he's 17th and 18th in the championship exactly. in two years. We both think so. pretty highly of him, but by the same token, he hasn't, except for a couple of races, he hasn't uh, he hasn't delivered championship quality results yet. And then you go back to the other side of things. There still is a scenario where Marcus Armstrong stays because I don't know what his financial situation is. But if the budget is available, they could decide the same scenario we talked about with Malukas, that the family, his backers, whoever's paying for it, decides, you know what? We're going to go and invest for one more year. He's going to win races, maybe even win the championship like Alex Pillow did, but certainly be a factor. And then he's going to get hired by someone else. And we like our chances. So in, in less an Andretti, or a McLaren comes calling, then he might decide, you know what, we're going to suck it up and we're going to pay to do one more year of development for Marcus Armstrong here. So, And that that's what Chip Ganassi Racing would hope in this case. And maybe the number goes down, but my guess is it doesn't. My guess is that's kind of where they're at at this point, unless they can find new significant sponsorship. So that's a good one. Another one I think you'd keep in mind is a Callum Eilat. That might be someone in that category that Andretti would be looking at. And by the way, they may have two seats. So it was confirmed this week through racer.com, which everyone kind of thought it was headed that way. But Rob Edwards, the COO, said, uh, you know, Michael and, and Dan are going to fund all four cars through all of our sponsors. So we're going to hire four drivers next year. Or at least he says, we're looking at having four cars. I think if they don't find two drivers that they like, and if the 29 does not finish in the leader circle, I could see a scenario where they might be three cars next year. Me too. Me too. And so that depends on do they want Roman Grosjean and what is that number? So that's why I say it could be one or two. Grosjean, let's include him in one of those situations as one of the best available free agents out there for multiple reasons. but. Here's what Andretti is going to be faced with right now, because I think if they get Erickson, that opens up options for them. If they cannot get Erickson, I think that helps Grosjean's cause because he's a big name international presence. They they need a name driver there to go along with Herta and Kirkwood. If they've got Erickson, an Indy 500 winner, then I think they could, for the fourth seat, go after Malukas. Armstrong, Eilat, Lundquist, uh, Christian Rasmussen, Nolan Siegel, you know, whatever, if they feel like he's ready. Your top driver in F2 this year that's not going to find a seat in Formula One, maybe even Rosenquist, you know, because they feel like he would be good for the overall program. I would keep that in mind for that scenario. Yeah, that's that's. I think you've named him. I just don't know which of the ones you'd yeah. be leaning toward. And again, a big Erickson. I don't either. <laughs> building block, but uh, but I like I like where you're going with uh, some combination of of Grosjean, uh, Eilat, and Armstrong. I think I think he's he's probably in that group. 
and maybe Malukas. And maybe Malukas. Sorry, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that it's was one of those one. young guys. Yeah, in that, um, what would be really cool is if people did testing in the off season and kind of a gong show. <laughs> I, I want, I want to. See, they've got four cars. Yeah, let's see all those guys and Linus Lundquist in the car and Christian Rasmussen, and you could split it up and let's see who's the best. Uh, and you know what? I could see Dan Towers and Michael Andretti being open to something like that. If you're hiring your four drivers, let's make it a little mini event. Let's get some more publicity for Gamebridge and any other partner that you have on there. Let's get that going. We'll call Dan and, and, uh, and, and create the event. I like it. Okay. All right. Peacock. Um, We'll see what else we're missing in silly season. We need to get to some schedule things. Um, a lot of things coming up at IMS throughout the summer. We'll talk about what's a month away, the Brickyard, the sports car race, and the future of that. So there's a little bit of news there and more, including on the new IMS museum that's coming. Stay with us. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, shorter segment here. Let's sneak in a few tweets at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Lynn underscore IndyCar and her name tag, or whatever you would call it at this point, is Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan. Maybe not a Wimby fan. Hmm. Uh, she had a comment another weekend in IndyCar. Alex wins, highest finishing rookie, Marcus Armstrong. CGR is the class of the field, finishing one and two. Feels like watching Groundhog Movie. It does. I'll say this. As strong as Polo has been, he's he's not going to win every race. And I'll always go with something different is going to happen. So I will be really surprised if he wins again this weekend. Championship? No, I can't go that path. I, I think he's winning the championship by a good long margin but something's going to change we're going to get surprised really soon and even if the championship isn't a storyline like it always is this is something i mentioned on our our conference call is hey what are we focusing on in my opinion is the events still sell themselves the events even if we know the championship are still fascinating He's going to win the championship because he's not going to get outscored by 12 points every single week. But it's very possible he only wins one more race the rest of this season. That wouldn't shock me. He's going to be up front. Uh, So that's the point. Every weekend is an event. Every weekend is unique. And we're still going to see something at some point we didn't think we were going to see. So there you go. Lynn also said... um, Oh, she she pointed out in her next tweet, no reason to go to Laguna Seca. No, there's always a reason to go to Laguna Seca, even if the championship is done. Formula One's doing quite well. Their championship has been over since April. There's still things to watch. I enjoyed the, uh, the race at Silverstone over the weekend because I'm watching second through 15th. Do I enjoy it as much as an IndyCar race? No, not so much. But there's still something, and there's going to be plenty to see in IndyCar before we're done this season. Paul asks or says, do you think Pelot's consistency and success is putting pressure on his teammates and may have contributed to Erickson acting so rash at the start? Uh, maybe. I think that's... I, I just think sometimes you make a mistake or sometimes you don't get the grip that you were expecting 
So I don't think anyone was likely moving to really take extra chances, but it's a fair point and it's a fair question uh, because you were at a point, really, even if you're Erickson in second, you had to move forward. You had to move forward quickly, and your best chance at a place like Mid-Ohio is the start. So I'll retract that and say maybe. No one knows except the person, and even they may not know. Uh, ultimately, you know, you're trying to make the best decisions you can. You're trying to make smart decisions and take what's available. But, yeah, you know, you you got to get after it if you wanted to still win the championship. R.G. Skadberg says or asks, what's the method for counting stream-only events? Is it limited to only live viewers? It seems it would be easier to see how many people check the event or watch the whole event real-time or within the day. That's a fantastic question. Uh, They don't really, and this wasn't, I don't know if it was necessarily pertaining to Peacock or something else, but... In the past, they've not really released sole Peacock numbers. It's sort of a digital number, and I don't know if we'll see one for this weekend. I don't think we did for last year publicly. But I would hope that when they're sending this along to advertisers and people involved, that you're counting live and you're counting anything like they do in television within a certain window time, 48 hours or whatever. Um, That's how the Nielsen's are done. There's an overnight, but then the final rating, which sometimes is different, is within something like 48 hours. So I would hope that's the same. And certainly in streaming, it can be an exact number. You shouldn't be guessing in that circumstance. All right, we'll get to some more uh, Twitter questions as time permits at the end of the show. More on the IMS Museum. We'll talk schedule. Uh, We'll talk what's going on at IMS throughout the summer and more all coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, Trackside on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Sam Fritz is in our studios. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cabin, looking forward to the Honda Indy Toronto coming up this weekend, Sunday afternoon here on the radio and also exclusively on Peacock. Tell your friends. Uh, if they turn on the television, unless they're hooked up to Roku or Apple TV, And going through Peacock, it's not available. I understand the principle. You'd rather not pay $5. Kurt, there are a lot of things I'd rather not pay for, but uh, that's unfortunately kind of how the world works and how business works. So one way or another, it's always being paid for. This one is just a little more direct. If you don't got the five bucks, I get it. Save it. And we'll tell you how it goes next Tuesday night. Yeah, that's what we do on Tuesday nights is recap yeah. the race. So, uh, no, I, you should. The radio is a great option. Uh, I, I enjoy that uh, on occasion, especially if I'm at the track and I log on to the to the IndyCar radio and listen to those guys. So, I mean, I do listen to you too. By the way, you did, had a great call last year at Toronto. So, well, start the weekend in the booth because Diff uh, has he's been on assignment has been doing track and field so he's going to get there a little bit late but he'll roll in on sunday so i'll be multitasking trying to get my stuff done my prep done for pit road and then uh hanging out with uh hinch and townsend i can tell you this you might see the hate cauldron back coming up this weekend this is where it made its debut last year 
So there's reason alone to get Peacock is to see the return of the hate cauldron. And we can't even tell you who's going to be involved, but we've got some candidates. We've got some candidates to join us in the hate cauldron this weekend. Well, I tried to call Hinch a couple of times this weekend, so I'm already putting him in the hate cauldron because he didn't call me back. Uh, he's in so, Canada. He's been in I, Canada all week. He's, he's gone straight from the UK to Canada. And he returned my call because I stopped by, uh, what's the name of it? It's where they make Pappy Van Winkle. So I did I did a full, my own 24-hour event over the weekend. Savannah is at, she doesn't allow it to be called a camp. It's a an intensive because a camp is what kids do. But she is an, an upcoming college freshman. She, so she's at sort of a theater seminar, an acting seminar in Hilton Head. And most people would say, hey, let's go and take a vacation to Hilton Head. But we didn't quite have that in our schedule allotment time or budget. So we basically drove 12 hours to Hilton Head, dropped her off. They wouldn't let us go in and see the room she's staying in and left and drove back. So 24-hour drive in a three-day span. We did have a nice evening in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. That's a really neat little town. So we stopped and had dinner there and stayed the night and went for a walk the next morning. So I can top that. I actually can top that. Uh, my my did a 24-hour drive in 36? No, we did a 26-hour in 36. We drove to uh, East Hampton, East Hampton, New York, which was as far out on Long Island as you can get to pick up our our son and daughter-in-law's dog who was going to be staying there for a while with my daughter-in-law, but ticks are a problem in the in the northeast right now and the dog was full of ticks or was going to be and so we got all the ticks off, went and picked up the dog, enjoyed a day in the Hamptons and drove home. 13 hours one way, 14 hours the other, actually 27 hours in the car over a three-day period. So I got you beat. Okay. Oh, I went to the where I was saying is how Hinch responded because I went to the Buffalo Trace Distillery along the Bourbon okay. Trail, which was on our way back, and picked up a bottle of Weller, which is difficult to come. And Hinch doesn't know that yet, but he's going to get one uh, as, a, as a gift for his support for many reasons. For calling you back? For calling you back, yes. <laughs> See, if you would have offered him bourbon, he might have called you back. Uh, so so there you go. All right. A um, couple of schedule things. Non-IndyCar related, but Indianapolis Motor Speedway related. We're a month away from the Brickyard. We, we probably should remind people of that more because so much focus in this market is on the Indianapolis 500. The Brickyard sometimes gets lost a little bit in the shuffle. But again, it's going to be an IndyCar and NASCAR event. I would also say, if you like that pairing, and I'm not saying this because I know what's happening. I really don't have any idea. But just educated speculation from what has been said publicly by all parties, from Roger Penske to Doug Bowles to NASCAR to NASCAR drivers, many of them not a fan of the road course event there, I don't know if the road course race will continue in 2024. Maybe you do. Maybe you've already seen a draft of the schedule, uh, and maybe it is going to be back. But I cannot guarantee it. Uh, NASCAR could go back to the Oval. And as we've said, if IndyCar adds to their schedule and needs to drop something, 
unless somebody else is unable to pay a sanctioning fee, I would think that's where you start because that's just kind of trading money internally. Yes, it's cheaper to do it here, but it's a duplicate event. I think all the fans would understand and you're not upsetting anyone too much if that goes away. I wish there was, I, I like the idea of bringing the two sports together, but I kind of feel like we're supporting NASCAR more than the other way around. They're trying, but when the IndyCar race is before the Xfinity race and before the cup race, there's not a lot they can do. Yes. The TV broadcast has done a nice job of revisiting some highlights during the race and maybe interviewing an IndyCar driver, but really we're doing the IndyCar race and saying, stay tuned. Xfinity is coming up. Cup is coming up tomorrow. And Oh, by the way, you're not welcome to go in your garages you need to go out because this is a NASCAR weekend out in the parking lot but toward towards turn one and two, which is fine. It served a need at the time, and it still has value. I'm not going to say it's a bad event at all, but if you come up with another option, yeah, that'd be my opinion. So if you like this combination, I think you should go see it this, this year. And oh, also, Indy Next is going yes. to be there on Friday. So that's one more open-wheel Formula Car event. Yeah, I was going to point that out, that Indy Next will be there on Friday as well. And I think Saturday at the Brickyard, and that what is that, August 12th and 13th off the top of my head? I think those are the dates. You yeah, can 11, check. 12, 13th. 11, 12, I believe 13th. The, the cup race is the 13th. Saturday is a really good day. That's my point. Saturday, I think, is one of the best days in motorsports. When you get the opportunity to watch, you know, really high-level uh, action from IndyCar and from the Xfinity series. I think that's a, that's one of the best tickets in, in sports at that price point. And, and uh, I mean, yeah, the Daytona 500 and Talladega and Indy and, and there are other races, but if you looking for one day where you get the chance to see cup practice, cup qualifying Xfinity race and IndyCar race, that's a pretty stellar lineup. Friday is IndyCar practice and qualifying. Indy Next practice qualifying in the race. Maybe Indy Next is on track Thursday in a closed circumstance. I don't know that, but I know the Indy Next race is on Friday. Saturday is busy. So it's Xfinity practice, qualifying, and the race at about 5 or 5.30. Cup practice and qualifying. And then the IndyCar race is at about 2 o'clock. So all the NASCAR stuff will happen before 2, then the IndyCar race at 2, and then right after that into the Xfinity race, which will go until almost dark, until 7.30 or 8. So, you know, you're talking about 12 hours of track activity uh, that particular day, the cup race on Sunday afternoon as well. And I know someone that has a good hookup for sweet tickets with tours involved, all supporting Jackson Lee racing. Jackson Lee is not racing that weekend. So he will be your host. I'll be your host for the Xfinity race and for the cup race on Sunday. And we've got a tower terrace suites and some other extras involved with that. Uh, and you might see some new drivers. So here's news I've learned in the house with my connections that might also be racing drivers. I'm not going to tell you who, because this is their news, but I think you're going to see some uh, new Indy next drivers later on in the season and it is not a driver in my house although we've we've talked with some budgets and it's more than we have <laughs> uh but just kind of stay tuned so the normal outlets will probably break that news in the next two or three weeks or so and we mentioned this last week for those that are wondering jackson is not going to toronto this weekend 
multiple reasons. He's not probably physically capable. His wrist is still really sore from uh, one of the several crashes he's had in the last few weeks. And we're more so out of money short term. Good option for turn three motorsport. Christian Brooks, who won at St. Pete's, is interested in doing another street race where he's quite good. So he's going to run Jackson's car this weekend. So that's great because I want Peter and the team to continue to field four cars and get paid. And then we'll work on coming back for Circuit of the Americas and Portland to finish up the season. Uh, Oh, the other thing I was going to mention is the sports car event at IMS coming up in September. So we want to remind people about that. I think that's going to be cool. This is the Indy eight hour is, is cool, but we're talking the top level of American sports car racing, the IMSA WeatherTech sports car championship, where the previously discussed Tom Blomquist will race for Meyer shank racing and Penske as a team, Ganassi as a team, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan as a team, Wayne Taylor, Vassar Sullivan, Lexus, big, big, big teams. They'll be running uh, in a what they call a sprint event, two hours and 40 minutes. It's the week after the IndyCar Championship. What's it going to be for next year? Roger Penske and Doug Bowles have talked about, especially Roger, once an endurance event. Well, I saw John Dunan, the IMSA president, recently, recently, I think he told Sports Car 365, we'll put our schedule out in August, and we don't expect to add to the hours of racing. So this is one of the things that we've talked about before, is if this is going to be an endurance race, where does that extra time come from? An endurance race, I can't recall if they consider four hours an endurance race or if it needs to be six. In the past, when Indy had a four-hour race, I believe that was part of the endurance calendar. You know, we've thrown out the 642, the same length as the 1911 Indianapolis 500. So from what John was saying, if they're going to add three or four hours to this race, it's coming from somewhere else. So that means either one of the 240s is going away or you're taking from another endurance event, or it's just staying as to what it is for one more year. They're not changing the 12 hours of Sebring. They're not changing the Rolex 24. I guess they could change Petit Le Mans. You know, that's not a time. Maybe that becomes an eight-hour event. And maybe Watkins Glen gets shrunk. So those are the scenarios involved in that. And then the World Endurance Championship, the series that Lamar races in, Roger Penske would like that to come to IMS. The last few years, it's been combined with IMSA at Sebring. That is not going to be the case next year in Sports Car 365 and others. I think Racer because Roger Penske was at the WEC race last weekend and spoke to the assembled media, he said that's not going to be able to happen for 24 because we can't get the weekends to work out. WEC cannot do it the weekend that IMSA needs to race. That tells us that already IMSA is on the schedule at IMS in 24. So they're looking at 25, could be combined with IMSA, or could be a standalone event. So while those aren't going to be huge spectator events, I still like what I consider the greatest motorsports facility and the greatest racing track in the world or whatever phrasing you want to use. I like to see as many high caliber top level series as I can. I'm not a MotoGP fan per se, but I like MotoGP being there and WEC and IMSA fit that bill. So I hope it happens. Yeah. And, and you got to remember while Roger Penske is invested in 
all forms of motorsports, honestly, or at, at some point in he touches all of it, uh, that, or most of it, that, um, he's a sports guy, a sports car guy at heart. I mean, that's where he, where he started. It's where he started. And so he was a champion at that level and he really enjoys it, has such a great collection of cars himself. His team is invested. Uh, so, so it's important to Roger and, um, we know what Roger's done for the sport. By the way, I was just thinking when you were talking about where those hours are going to come from, if they took away your Daytona shift from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m., would anybody miss it? We would just, just, I go to sleep, I wake up, and you're talking about 6.37 in the morning. What happens if we lost three hours at Daytona? No one would miss it. So there you so go. So it's the Daytona 21? No, you could call it 20. 21. You could call it 24, but we're all asleep anyway from one to four, except for you no, guys. You're racing. asleep. No, <laughs> you'd be surprised the number of people. I, I remember the first time I talked to, to Dale Earnhardt Jr. He said, yeah, I've actually stayed up all 24 hours before on the couch and watched the thing. Yeah. People do that. There are, there are hardcore people. <laughs> I stayed up the, the first year. Um, Although I think I passed out at about noon because I was done being on the air at nine and kind of dozed off a, a little bit towards the end of the race. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens on on that front. IndyCar schedule stuff, kind of something I've had. We talked about some possibilities. Uh, the race had some really good quotes from Mark Miles last week. One thing that I, I saw in my notes from a few weeks back that we haven't really talked about is next year's schedule is very likely to – need to be a little bit different. Remember, this is an Olympic year. And IndyCar has raced before during the Olympics, but if you're going to do that, maybe that's just where you put your Peacock race. So I think there's a better chance of NASCAR clearing out the Olympics and taking a long break, and maybe IndyCar still does one event, and maybe that's what you make your Peacock event. What you really love to do, you, you like running on Sunday, whatever that is, August 6th, 12th, whenever the date is when the Olympics end, where the ceremonies are coming up that night, but most of the events have finished up on the Saturday. Then you could get back on NBC or USA or something like that. But the week before, you're probably not getting on NBC. You're, you're not getting on NBC. You're probably not getting on USA. Maybe you can get on CNBC. Those are kind of your options. How do you get on Peacock? Doesn't Peacock, isn't that utilized for the Olympics as well? Well, no, Peacock has well, I mean, sort of as I many suppose. channels as you yeah, want. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's you can true. run multiple sports at the same time on Peacock. So that would always be an option. But then it becomes what events um, are going to be there. It's worked out nicely. Maybe in some ways it's considered, hey, this is the Canadian event. They're not watching American television anyway. They're taking our feed in some cases, but it's in their outlets. So let's do it that way. Um for that event, you know, I wonder if they may still decide, hey, let's kind of float that around a little bit because it's still an American company. It's Green yeah. Savory that is the promoter of that event. So that's, I'm sure, all part of the sanctioning agreement and everything else is involved. I thought it made perfect sense last year for that to be the Peacock race because when the schedule came out, we still didn't know if we were going to be allowed to race in Toronto. That was in question until... What we got towards the end of 21, the beginning of 22, where that was confirmed. But that's been the peacock for both particular races. Uh, just an aside comment whenever there's anything mentioned about how to watch the race, our Canadian friends, who we love, always clap back with, 
Well, you'd get higher ratings if you made it available in Canada to the NBC site or people like us. And I hear you and I feel you. But that's a that's an IndyCar question. NBC stands for the National Broadcasting Company. National is in United States of America National. It's not the international broadcast company. NBC's contract is distribute these races in the United States of America. We do not have the rights to distribute to Canada. That is up to the Canadian broadcasting companies, and they could decide to take our feed via IndyCar, but we do not have the ability to distribute. We'd love to. And by the way, there is a way. It's not that hard. It's a VPN. I figured it out when Jackson went to England. I'd look into it if I lived in another country and I wanted to watch programming from another country. That's the way that you can do that. Um, but I get it. Not everyone wants to mess with that option. And I don't know the legalities of all that. But uh, just an aside, just an aside there from that standpoint. Oh, back to the schedule thing. So we talked about Nashville and how it sounds like there is a plan that could be a long term plan. So does that mean you're running on Broadway? Uh, and I think you could still potentially run over the bridge. Sure, you could. You could I'm run sure over the could. bridge sure you could. while they're building that stadium. They're not tearing down the bridge. So you're just turning around in what was where the race started. I forget the turn numbers. Is that turn nine down there? The left-hand turn down at the bottom of the hill. So you're rerouting and going back across the bridge there, and you're doing something on Broadway and around that little section up there. But that date is in that Olympic window. Do things get moved around a, a little bit, and does that become permanent? And if you wanted to, we love Laguna Seca, um, but it's not a big crowd for your championship. There's reasons why it works as the championship, because all the sponsors and the industry likes being there. I don't know if this is possible because you're dealing with a football team and the schedule is different every year. Now, maybe the new venue, the new layout could allow you to race on a weekend when the Titans play. I doubt it. I don't I think it. you'd have enough. Parking. I doubt it. An NFL team does have the ability to request a weekend or two off. So if you got that done, could you have your championship in Nashville? Could it's you finish the season there? It would be a little less hot. It's not going to be cool you know, because it's still going to be in September. And maybe my dream scenario is, now it'd be even hotter, but it's Labor Day weekend. I'd love for them to finish the season before the NFL starts. You are never, ever going to get a big rating. Once the NFL starts, whether you're on NBC, USA, or satellite from the moon. So if, if a television rating is important to you, uh, you need to not go head to head with the NFL. Now, how do you fit all the races you want to do in that window ending by whatever, September 7th? That's hard to do, and it may not be possible. So in that case, you're finishing on the 15th, the 18th, whatever. And you just make the best of it with a lot of promotion and get what you can. But I think you'd get more publicity running a street race in Nashville. And there's your championship celebration where people love to go tourist attraction, blow it out. So 
Don't know if that's possible, but it's just one thing that I wondered about. And hopefully Laguna Seca finds another spot on the schedule because I want that to stay as well. It's a really nice, it's a really nice concept. I just don't know how it works with preparations for football. I just don't know in the town of Nashville, which is very big football NFL town. I just don't know. It would, it would need to finish up for the regular season for sure. And even then the preparations might be just too much to overcome, but it's a good thought. And I'm sure it has been thought of. We're here about ideas and it would be a different footprint. So maybe the new location doesn't involve as much and doesn't upset as long as it's not happening that weekend. So I have to just throw it out there because that's what we like to do. Uh, We know something is going to happen. Big changes coming to the IMS museum. Joe Hale, the president is going to break it all down and more coming up next. Hi, this is Colton Herda, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Trackside on a Wednesday night. Kevin will be back with us in just a few minutes. But as we alluded to earlier in the show, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum is about to embark on an $89 million renovation that will reimagine the facility inside the racing capital of the world. Joining us to discuss, based on yesterday's press conference, is Joe Hale, the museum's president, to discuss. Joe, what's uh, discuss what's ahead? Joe, uh, thanks for taking a few minutes. My pleasure. So I called it a reimagining of the museum, which means all the work will be done inside the footprint of the current building from the basement up. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, it is, Kurt. Uh, you know, it's a hundred thousand square foot building, three three floors. The second floor is a partial floor, but it's 100,000 square feet. And really, we've only been using about a third of it, to be honest with you. Uh, Our offices are on the partial floor on the second floor. The first floor has really been the museum. It's about 37,000 square feet. Well, we're going to expand the museum to include the entire lower level. So that's going to give us about 70,000 square feet of exhibition space, doubling it. The other thing that I think we want to achieve uh, is when you walk into the museum now, if you've been there, you basically see the entire museum. Our winning cars are on the right. We've got typically a, a, an exhibition that's up on the left. And there really aren't any surprises. There's no path, storyline to really follow. So I guess about two and a half years ago, Kurt, and you, you probably know more about this than I do, because in 16 and 17, I know the museum at that point was looking at a, a substantial expansion, uh, but that it didn't move forward. So we wanted to kind of be quiet about this during the planning process. And we have been planning for over two years now because we wanted to get it right. We wanted to make sure that if we we launched, we were going to be successful. So that's really what yesterday was about. And, and as you said, it's an $89 million project. And that's broken down into $64 million for the museum itself. 15 million for a to be determined location for a new 60,000 square foot restoration shop and then 10 million for endowment because that endowment's important we we started really plunging money into the endowment raising money for it a couple of years ago it's not huge right now it's about 3 million but we want to add another 10 to that because we want to do exhibitions that are first class world class if you will 
And we haven't had the budget to do that in the past. Jason Van Sickle and our, our exhibitions uh, team, they've done a wonderful job working within the budgetary limits that we have. But we want to put on exhibitions that are really stunning, spellbinding, incredible. And so I think this, uh, this, this budget, this endowment is going to allow us to happen, have that. So anyway, it's those three buckets adding up to $89 million. Well, there's a lot to unpack right there. I, let's let's get to some of the basics. You're going to shut down the museum for a period of time, about a year and a half, but continue to have tours, which are extremely popular. Uh, give us the timeline on on the project and then the reopening of the museum. Sure. The, the museum will close to the public um, on November 6th of this year, 2023. It'll be closed for 18 months. And it will reopen to the public in April of 25, right before the 109th running of the Indianapolis 500. Now, while we're closed, uh, we are going to continue, as you said, to run the Kiss the Brick tours, the View from the Top tours, those great opportunities to get out on a shuttle, a bus, a golf cart, and take that lap around the track and stop at the Yard of Bricks and get your picture taken, kiss in the Yard of Bricks. That's all going to continue. We're also going to do a lot of our programming continue our programming. As you know, in the last uh, year, we've had everybody from Elio Castroneves to, you know, to, to, uh, you know, Graham Rahal to a lot of the, a lot of the really important drivers at our speaker series that usually start and you can come in, you can get something to drink. It's the talk, usually the interview lasts for about 45 minutes and then there's a Q and A and then the driver will do a, 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 an autograph session after that. We're going to continue those. We're going to continue the fuel up Fridays, you know, where on, on, on Friday mornings we'll have people like Sarah Fisher, Beth Peretta come in. And, and uh, you've been so kind to, to moderate some of those discussions, too. So that's all going to continue. But it's just those programs won't be in the museum. They'll be elsewhere in the community, someplace that's convenient, easy to park. But we're going to continue all those programs for that year and a half that we're closed. And, you know, we're going to do uh, exhibitions, too. Not in the museum, but elsewhere. Very similar to the one right now we have open at the Indiana State Museum called Vintage Vision. And it's about all of those dozens and hundreds of car manufacturers that were in Indiana after the turn of the century. And uh, what Vintage Vision is now at the State Museum, our members get in free. And every car in that exhibition is from our collection. So you're going to see more of that happening, hopefully maybe at the Children's Museum or at the Stutz or you know, who knows where, new fields possibly. We're talking to a lot of folks about that. Joe Hale joins us, uh, the museum president, uh, IMS uh, Motor Speedway, actually the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Let me get that correct. You've done a lot in your two years, by the way, uh, well, two two plus years. Yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, the fundraising, it's been interesting, Kurt. Um, I have been amazed at how kind of open people are to helping us with this campaign. One couple came in over a year ago. Uh, I've known them for a long time. I didn't know they had any connection to the 500. And we were walking around. I showed them the plans. And she looked out on the floor and said, see that car? And it was the National. And she said, my family used to own that. She looked, pulled, pointed to another car and said, see that car? And she was pointing to the Marmon Wasp. She said, my family used to own that. I, I, I didn't have a clue she had that connection. And they looked at our, at our plans, got in their car, drove away, called me 20 minutes later and said, we're in for $10 million. Wow. That really was a catalyst to make us 
give us the confidence that we can go forward with this campaign. And as you heard yesterday, you know, we've now raised about 46, 47 million dollars. Um, Lilly Endowment is in for 20 million. And, and what's interesting about their commitment to us and what's really important is that five of that is a challenge grant to us. Dollar for dollar match. It has to be met by the end of September, but five million of that. So if somebody, and I'm I'm literally saying if somebody gives us a five a five dollar bill, it's immediately doubled to ten dollars. If somebody gives a hundred dollars, it's two hundred dollars. You know, ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. It's incredibly thoughtful and generous of Lilly Endowment, but they realize how that can motivate people to uh, to give. So you know, we hope to meet that goal by the end of September 30th, and then uh, the other 15 will come in, and, you know, we're we're on our way. And there have been a lot of people, not just in Indiana either, I mean, people from Los Angeles, from Phoenix, from New York, from Nashville, who have stepped up in a major, major way, or have promised that they're going to step up once they knew that this was launched and, and actually going moving forward. Two things I want to get to in the time we have remaining uh, one, probably the most popular question we would get is, what are you going to do about the basement tour that is so coveted? And if not in the basement, is there some other component that will be sort of special, which is uh, that basement tour has has been over the years? Yeah. Um, in answer to your question, yes. We, we are not going to continue where it is. Um, we hope at some point, like I said, phase two, to have a restoration shop where we could have storage for another, let's say, 140 cars. And in that space, there might be a variation of the basement collection, which we're, what we're going to have in the basement, though, is really cool because we're going to have eight more of the winning cars in our collection, plus some of the crown jewels that we have that, you know, that that 196 Mercedes, the 250 LM Ferrari, the last Ferrari, second to the last Ferrari to win Le Mans, I correct myself. Uh, those are going to be down in the basement in the lower level. We're also going to have two rotating galleries down there where we can bring in exhibitions maybe from other museums, the Henry Ford, the Peterson, the Rev down in Naples, the Barber. So, you know, and then we may ship some of our exhibitions to to their, uh, their, their spaces. You know, it's been interesting this past year, we did five exhibitions and it's really paid off in terms of our, our attendance has really blossomed. And, you know, in the past, we had, we'd opened one exhibition at the race, typically on a driver, and then that would stay up for a year till next year's race. Well, if you saw it the first year, what's your motivation to come back? Because not too much is going to change. So by having these rotating galleries, and we're also going to be able to put a mezzanine above the winner's gallery, which is really cool, that's going to give us 6,700 more square feet to do other kinds of exhib exhibitions up there. Really cool. Uh, lastly, you talked about, and I want to kind of combine these two thoughts in, into one from your perspective. For for so long that I can remember, the thought was that the museum might actually re relocate across the street on 16th Street to where the IndyCar offices are located. Was there consideration for that? And as you talked about the restoration shop, uh, is that part of the IMS restoration that happens just a little bit east of the museum those two things from a facility standpoint to to hit on? Well, you know, we're a tenant of IMS. Uh, Penske is a, a very benevolent landlord, believe me. But when our original lease was kind of coming to the end, obviously we, we looked at options and we quickly concluded there's no better place for this museum 
it's what makes it special is to be inside of that track. When you go under t tunnel two and you come up there and you see that building right in front of you and it's that, you know, brutalist architecture from the mid 20th century and which kind of reflects the race, the sport, in my opinion, there's just no place else that we should be. We never seriously considered relocating outside the track. It's too, too important to us. Um, and then what was your other question? The restoration. Oh, the restoration. Yeah, this is this is completely separate. You know, we we right now have restoration inside the track. Again, Penske is is very kindly allowed us to use two garages. They have another use for that in a couple of years. So it's prompted us to look elsewhere. We will that that will be outside the track, but hopefully we'll be within a four or five minute you know drive because I'd love at some point to be kind of a. Uh, you know, you can come in and spend 20 bucks to go to the museum for an extra five, get on a shuttle and go see 150 other really cool cars and see six cars being restored. So, you know, phase two, but um, that that'll it will be separate from IMS. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's because, this because is... as you point out and everybody, I encourage them to because a lot of people don't know it and they say, well, why didn't Penske just pay for all this? We are a completely separate 501c3 organi organization. We got a great relationship with our landlord, IMS and Penske, but we are separate. And so, you know, we, we don't get, you know, funding from anywhere else than our fundraising efforts. So I think it's important for people to understand that. Yeah. It's the, the tenant part is uh, difficult to understand when, and you look at the building and it says Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the front door. Uh, that, that's a, that's a unique situation, but the museum is, is a nonprofit and, and functions separately. And by the way, I, I don't, I need Roger to save his money. We have Christmas bonuses to consider and so forth. You know, I know he's hard up. He, he, he needs to conserve his money. So we're doing everything we can. <laughs> Joe Hale, thanks. Uh, taking a couple minutes. Uh, I, I, we wish the museum all the best and whatever we can do with with uh, fuel up Fridays and and speaking engagements, uh, bringing the drivers and the key personnel in is I'm all for that. So whatever we can do and and best of luck as the museum moves forward. Thank you very much, Kurt. It's been, been a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Yep. Uh, we'll be right back here in just a minute. See what we miss. Kevin will rejoin us. And this is Trackside. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, final segment um, in what we missed, and I, I suspect it's quite a bit. There's been stuff going on. Just kind of looked at some of the screen grabs that I have, and this reminded me of, I think, probably where I got the idea of could IndyCar move its season finale to Nashville? We've talked about needing a new layout for the track. So I saw this tweet a few days ago from Adam Stern that Red Bull Racing has confirmed that it will hold a demonstration show run on Lower Broadway in Nashville this year, specifically on Saturday, October 14th. So that's made me think, well, one, that means that there's a possibility to shut down those streets there. We know that. They shut down those streets every weekend. And wouldn't that be cool to do something IndyCar-related there in the fall. It need to be before October. It's going to have to be in September to keep the calendar the way it is, but just something to keep an eye on. Other racing things. Hey, it's uh, SRX opening weekend. Uh, our buddy Paul Tracy will be racing. Traded text with Paul. Looking forward to that. I'm hoping I can find it tomorrow night in Toronto. I think they have Canadian presence as well, but it's on ESPN. The old Thursday Night Thunder is resurrected. So who's in this one? Well, the defending champion, Marco Andretti, 
I think I saw something that Paul posted that he drew uh, the first spot in the first heat and Paul is starting next to him or behind him, however they're starting. So that'll be fun. Clint Boyer is in this one. Kevin Harvick, Haley Deegan, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Tony Stewart, Bobby Labonte, Ryan Newman, Ken Schrader. That's a pretty stacked lineup uh, on Thursday night. So that'll get you ready for the racing weekend with everything else going on. NASCAR is at Loudoun this weekend, USA. About the same time as IndyCar, a little bit behind us on Sunday afternoon. So set the DVR for that. Watch us on Peacock. Then you can watch NASCAR after the fact as well. Formula One, I do believe, has this weekend off. Couple of other Twitter questions. Uh, Patrick Stankus wrote, if Grosjean is out at Andretti after this season, is there a possibility he could land back at Coin? I feel like he's put too much pressure on himself to perform at Andretti. Seems like Coin was a good fit for him. Also, any updates on Malukas for 24? So maybe, yeah, there's going to be an opening there. Malukas is going to be gone from what he told Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star last week. Uh, so possibly, you know, I'm sure the first option, the first hope is that he is able to work a deal to everyone's liking to remain in Andretti. But if he wants to stay in IndyCar, you could make a case for getting the band back together. Part of that would depend on would Olivier be coming along or is if Grosjean is out, does he stay at Andretti? If Olivier could come back, Olivier Bolson is engineer then I would think that Grosjean would be quite uh, content to consider something like that. But there would probably be some other interested candidates. Would Meyer Shank be an option? Would Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan? Again, every team except Team Penske has an opening for next season. So uh, all things would be on the table at this point. Uh, One other thing I wanted to mention. I tweeted this today, so you can find the link there. But uh, some friends of mine that, that I've worked with, it's actually the, the people that help organize our suite at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Some of the same people have a company called Sports Entertainment and Travel, and they're doing a bus trip to St. Louis to Worldwide Technology Raceway, uh, Gateway, for the IndyCar race. So if you don't want to mess with a hotel, if you don't have the whole weekend available, this is one of those events if you're in the Indianapolis area you can do the day trip. You can leave. I think the bus leaves, and it's not just a bus. It's a bus with snacks and drinks provided. So a motor coach leaving at something like 8 or 8.30 in the morning and back at a reasonable time at that night, and it's sort of the all-inclusive thing with uh, the option to add on tickets, paddock passes are cheap there, and much more. So go to my Twitter if you are interested, or there is a website that's also available Oh, through the tracks website, uh, www.tracesway.com. Easiest is probably just finding me at Kevin Lee twenty three, and their Twitter is set experiences sports entertainment and travel. So join us at Gateway Worldwide Technology Raceway, if you will. August twenty seventh is when that is. Uh, last Sunday in August headed towards the end of the season. We're out of time. We'll see you next Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Thank you to Sam for Kurt. I'm Kevin. It's 93.5107.5 The Fan.